0: You are now
1: tuned in to Justice For All. Hosted by Justice General Radford. With special guests Bruce Nolot, host of the Bruce exclusive podcast. Vince Taylor, former host of Buffalo on the Brain with Vince Taylor.
0: What's up, Bills Mafia? Welcome to Justice for All. Uh, Listen, guys, I've I've had a pretty good run, okay, for the first couple of weeks in terms of guests, you know, for my new show. Um, I wanted to rebrand and I wanted it to be very high quality at a very high level. And week three, listen, I promise you guys, I did not disappoint, okay? Um, I have two extremely special guests, two guys that I love and respect a very vast, extreme amount Uh, You know, these are two guys who have helped me on my journey, and I really appreciate both of them. Uh, First guy I'm going to bring up is has been a guy. If you if you're familiar with my content, then you're probably familiar with his content. Uh, He's he isn't in the Bills community at the moment. Um, He is, you know, doing things in life, but he was formerly uh, built in Buffalo and the host of Buffalo on the brain with Vince Taylor, is my man, my brother, Vince Taylor. What is going on, Vince? How are you doing today?
1: Man, you know my saying. I am always doing better than I deserve. And I like saying that because I try to live a thankful life. And so I'm always thankful. And tonight, what I'm thankful for, Justice, is I get to spend some time with you and Bruce. So what an awesome night for me.
0: Absolutely. Same here. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on. And um, I think I can speak for Vince and myself when I say that we both really look up to this gentleman. Uh, this guy has been somebody who's very influential in the Bills community and has, uh, has been a very good mentor as well. Um, I think he's a great guy and he has like the voice of uh, Angel. I don't really know where he gets it from, but uh, he's the host of the Bruce exclusive podcast. Mr. Bruce Nolan. What is going on, Bruce? How are you tonight? Guys, it's just disco balls and dancing girls every single time. <laughs> every single time.
2: That's just the way I roll all the time. Just EDM music. and <laughs> I mean, the whole thing. If I was doing better, they would lock me up. They would think I was crazy. They're like, there's no way in heck this guy <laughs> is having this much fun without there being something illegal going on. So we're just going to go ahead and throw him in there and we'll find something later. <laughs>
0: i love it i love it man i love it i absolutely love it um i want to thank both of you gentlemen uh for joining us tonight uh it's it's, like i said it's an honor and a pleasure to have you guys on um and i i am extremely uh you know grateful as as both of you are i can say you know i echo those sentiments so uh thank you again um so let's go ahead and kind of get into the football talk um i know you know vince you don't really get as much of an opportunity to talk football maybe as much as you used to or at least you know previously um what do you what are your thoughts on kind of just what direction you think the Bills need to go in in this off season to you know be the ones that lift the the Lombardi next season
1: Hmm. well last year I felt like we had more of more flexibility I think last year because Last year, Brandon Bean decided to re-sign everybody and try to run it back with pretty much the same team. And, you know, I think this year we have a lot more question marks and maybe a lot more direction in where he needs to go because we have so many needs on the defensive line. I'm not quite content in the way the offensive line is. I know we played better towards the end of the year, but I'm not going to put all my... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not putting all my uh, eggs in that basket just yet. I still have some concern there and you know, I'm with Bruce. I've, I've I'm always saying, get me a better corner for corner two. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, last year, I felt like I felt like I had a better handle on what we need to do. And, and this year I think there's just too many other options and variables and we don't know what we're going to do with Cole Beasley or wide receiver or resigning folks. Harry's got Harry, might be gone you know levi might be gone so i don't know i don't. I, I looking at free agency if there's good value there somewhere i don't know there's just a bunch of different ways we can go that i haven't really wrapped my mind around it yet
0: yeah that that's a very good point there are, are like a million and one different uh ways this team could end up next year um with the people that are kind of on the bubble right now between being signed and being re-signed um or, you know, obviously going somewhere else in free agency. Uh, What about you, Bruce? Uh, What are you you expecting us to do kind of this offseason in order to take the step toward being champions next year? I
2: wouldn't expect to see anything different from a team-building standpoint than what you've seen thus far from the Buffalo Bills. I don't think that the introduction of the Rams into the narrative would really change anything in regards to the way that Brandon Dean believes a team should be built. And I think that's one of the things that – The NFL community is bound to overreact to this offseason because inevitably, whatever team won the Super Bowl, there's going to be a lot of discussion about building your team that way. That's just the way it is. When you had the Seattle Seahawks and they absolutely obliterated a high flying Peyton Manning offense in the Super Bowl, the entire discussion that offseason was maybe defense really does win championships. Maybe that's what you need to do. You need to get these really long boundary corners, get safeties who can come down and hit. All about secondary play, all about locking down offenses, defense wins championships. But it was all based on that one thing. And so the narrative for the media and the narrative for content creators and the narrative for fans specifically ignored everything they knew or thought they knew about team building based on one game. Because I'll tell you right now, if the Cincinnati Bengals would have won the Super Bowl, one of the narratives that would have come out from that Super Bowl would have been, well, maybe offensive line isn't as important as we thought it was because they had a terrible <laughs> offensive line and they won the Super Bowl. I'm telling you right now, that's what would have happened. Well, great quarterback can overcome offensive line. It's all about weapons. Weapons, weapons, weapons. Look at what the Bengals did. The Bengals could have taken a tackle or an offensive lineman in general and they took a wide receiver. And now they won the Super Bowl. That's exactly what you hear because we love, there's nothing more than we love more than being prisoners of the most recent thing we saw. Mm. And so, given the fact that the most recent thing we saw is the Super Bowl, what you're going to have a lot of push is you're going to have a lot of push to, well, go be the Rams. Well, first off, the number one reason the Rams won the Super Bowl was not because they got Von Miller. And it wasn't because they got Odell Beckham. It's because they went from Jared Goff to Matt Stafford. Hate to bring it to you, that type of upgrade isn't available for the Buffalo Bills at quarterback because they already have a really good quarterback. They don't need to go get one. So that type of upgrade isn't available. So the Rams method was, it wasn't just built around grabbing things and trading away all your picks. It was built around upgrading the most important position on the football field. Unless you're out there trying to upgrade from Josh Allen, you can't replicate what the Rams did. So here's what I would expect to see more of the same. And as much as that would sound boring to people, and as much as that would sound anticlimactic to people, I think it's what we're going to get.
0: And it also to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying, it's kind of a situation where you don't even need to give as much capital as the Rams did because you already have a top 1% talent at quarterback position and the Rams had to use that capital to go get it. So now you're already starting ahead of the A ball in terms of where the Rams started. Um, you know, they obviously traded for Von Miller and they had to go get Odell, um, you know, but obviously they had to work to get Odell to come in, you know, the way he, got cut by the the Browns, but um, I totally agree with you. I I think that's why when people kind of say, you know, I wish the Bills would, uh, you know, do what the Rams did. Like, I, I think you have to add context to that. It's like, I agree. The Bills absolutely should take a chance. And I think now is the opportunity to take a chance because you have a situation where in the past, Brandon Bean was trying to kind of stockpile picks in order to fill out his roster, all right, we've seen that he's kind of he's amazing in terms of, you know, seeing developmental talent. Um in later rounds, we've seen that the type of players that he's been able to acquire and, you know, through development, those guys have started to, you know, make make major impact on our team, on our Super Bowl potential, you know, team. Um and so like I said, I, I see that he can, you know, identify talent. So now I kind of feel like we have a very deep roster we probably have one of the more deep rosters in the NFL. So I feel like we can now package some, some assets to maybe go get a outstanding talent, you know, um, at a premium position instead of maybe having some, you know, slightly above average guys to kind of maybe play above their steed, if you will, to go get an absolute game wrecker to, to kind of come in and, you know, infuse the defense or, whatever position they might play uh, with some energy and, you know, um, just a higher level of of football playing. Um, So I I think that the bills are in prime position to be able to do that. And they don't have to do as much as the Rams uh, to to Bruce's point. Um, But uh, Vince, what do you think? Do you think that the, you know, the bills should, you know, take a chance or do you think, uh, you know, Bean should kind of stay on the road that he's going now?
1: Well, I'm I'm on the Brandon Bean trade. I, I understand how everybody could say, well, I want the Bills to follow the Rams blueprint. But I'll tell you what, Rams don't win that game. And instead of being smart, they're reckless. And the difference is they still had to pay Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald and all these guys to get to come there. They paid either in salary or draft capital. I think the difference with the bills right now is we saw a little bit last year. We saw Matt Milano take a little bit less money. I predict we're going to see Harrison Phillips take a little bit less money. We're not having to overpay. We are now the place where people are going to want to come because of 17. I think we can get another wide receiver to decide to take less than market value to come play across from the stop on digs and catch passes from Josh Allen. So I don't think we need to go that way. I think Brandon Bean stays path and we will be competitive for years to come because the Rams have used up all their bullets. Maybe they have another run in them next year, but it's going to fall off the table real quick.
0: Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Um, you take a look at what the Rams are doing and it's not sustainable. Um, even at the the Rams kind of Super Bowl parade, you know, when Aaron Donald was giving his answer as to whether he was coming back or not, You know, he said, if we could keep the super team together, then let's run it back. But I don't think he's interested in going into uh, that downhill slump and, you know, kind of being in a situation where you're just just, you know, you have no assets, you know, to do anything with. Um, So, uh, yeah, the the Rams, uh, what they did is is a little uh, (laughs) it may be it may have been a little reckless. You know, I reference the Eagles. It's like, you know, the Eagles, they went and they won it. And now they don't have the same quarterback. They don't have the same head coach. And really, they kind of, no one cares about them, to be honest. Like, so, you know, uh, you know, you win one, and I'm sure winning one feels amazing. But then it's kind of like, you know, what is it worth? Um, but I, I guess it depends on who you ask. Um, but, Bruce, I have a question for you. Do you think that the Bills will be contenders as long as Josh Allen is their quarterback? Or do you think it's a little more than that?
2: I think it's more than that. I think we've seen really good quarterbacks play for teams that because they didn't build around them were never really considered contenders. We just saw it. I don't see how anybody can say, well, the Bills are a Super Bowl contender for as long as Josh Allen's the quarterback. We literally just saw a team win a Super Bowl with a quarterback that came from a team that at no point was ever considered to be a Super Bowl contender because of the team around it. At no point. During Matt Stafford's career, were the Lions ever considered a Super Bowl contender? Ever. Because the remainder of team matters that much. Now, Josh Allen's better than Matthew Stafford, but also Josh Allen could potentially have a worse team around him than Matt Stafford. That's things that happen. So for me, it's about the same thing that I've been preaching for a million years, which is be as good as you can for as long as you can and hope you get lucky. Because this idea that you're all in to win this year, I don't believe in that concept it completely dismisses the idea that there's randomness associated with football. For every team like the Rams who went all in and got it, there are a million more who went all in and fell flat on their face. But we don't remember any of those teams. Instead, we're just prisoners of the moment, and we think, well, all in for the Rams. So, no, I don't think that the Bills are Super Bowl contenders just merely due to the presence of Josh Allen on the team. I think they're going to be playoff contenders, due to the presence of Josh Allen on the team. But if you want to be able to get to the Super Bowl, you need a at least reasonable remainder of team. And if you're not careful with your team building, you might not be able to acquire that.
0: Yeah, I think uh kind of kind of like the, the Philadelphia super team with Vic and Asamoah and I think they had Asante Samuel and uh LaShawn McCoy, Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Mecklin, and they were supposed to be like the super team and they kind of, you know, just... Didn't do anything, you know, in, in, in any significance of any significance, at least. Um, but uh, Bruce, while we have you here, um, I kind of wanted to get into your stew model. Um, I know that you you've talked about doing it the last two years. It has correctly, you know, predicted the NFL MVP. Uh, and then uh, you told us, you know, in the pre-production uh, a little bit that you've tested it for four years now and every single year has been correct. So uh, just let let everybody kind of know what it means and uh you know what what goes into it.
2: So Stew is an acronym. Uh, it was suggested to me by Josh Rodden, who does the graphics work for Buffalo Rumblings. And Stew is an acronym that stands for Statistical Talent Evaluation Worksheet. And the reason it was called Stew is because the way I introduced it was this idea that Stew is by definition multiple different ingredients all tossed in a pot, and that. We get really arrogant with our particular favorite quarterback holistic metric. Some people are like, no, PFF grade. That's the thing. And then other people are like, no, EPA per play. That's the thing. And then other people are like, no, CPOE. That's the thing. And I'm sitting here evaluating these quarterback metrics and going, well, all of them have intrinsic flaws that if we get too tribalistic about them, we're just going to completely miss out. What if, what if, hear me out, we didn't associate our own egos with the idea that one of them is intrinsically better than the others and instead balanced out the flaws of some by incorporating the strengths of the others. So for example, we all know that passer rating is an outdated metric. We know this. It's been around for a billion years. It's outdated. Why is it outdated? Well, Couple reasons. Number one, it more heavily weights certain aspects of quarterback play than it probably should. And the other reason is it has no bearing whatsoever on running. If your quarterback rushes for a first down, zero, zero impact on passer rating. Nobody cares. So, given the fact that that's a fairly outdated metric, you would never want to use that in a vacuum to evaluate a quarterback. But what if you tossed it in to this stew as just sort of a weight balance that wants to push? the amalgamation, a little bit closer to passing numbers. I I want a little bit more weight on passing. What do I do? I'll throw in passer rating. That will give me a little bit more weight toward passing. Things like EPA per play. EPA per play is frequently viewed as being a really good metric to evaluate offenses. However, it is heavily reliant on other players doing their jobs if you have a quarterback who throws an unbelievably good deep ball that is dropped by a wide receiver, that's a bad play from an EPA per play standpoint, but the quarterback made a great play. Well, how do we deal with that? Well, you deal with that by adding in a little PFF grade, which is basically a ball placement issue, right? If PFF grade is one of the only things out there that's going to calculate for a really good throw that was dropped by a receiver. So I don't want to use PFF grade in a vacuum but do I want to use it to help balance out some of the flaws that exist in other metrics then sure. So for me, it's about managing to combine these things and just get away from our own ego where we say, no, this one, this one. And here's what it boils down to. We don't love any metrics unless they confirm our priors. That's it. All All we want is whatever metric is going to help us argue with the guy we're arguing with on Twitter. That's it. Whatever argument that will help me, Whatever metric that will help me win this argument, that's what I'm going to use. But it's really intellectually dishonest. So what we should do is we should be acknowledging the fact that all of them have blind spots, and we should be acknowledging the fact that we can do better, and we can combine them to help come up with a more holistic way of looking at quarterbacks.
0: And that's what Stu is. So what? how did this even come to you? Like, like did you just think like you wanted to make it fair for everybody or like, did, like w- did you sit down and do the math every time where like, did, was it a group of you guys or something?
2: No, it was just me. And wow. I w- started working on it in think like, 2018 is when I started working on it. And it all came from the idea that I didn't like these flaws in the metrics. I always found myself going, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Because that's just intrinsically the way that I think. And so I'm like, okay, well, I really like EPA per play, but, and then I would use the example. If a quarterback throws a really nice deep pass and it gets dropped, that's that doesn't show up on EPA per play as a positive for the quarterback, but it should be. Well, okay, well, I like PFF grade for this, but I don't like it for this. Well, I like QBR for this, but maybe QBR weights rushing a little bit too much. The reason passer rating is part of it is because QBR is part of it. QBR loves rushing, loves it. In fact, I would argue QBR likes rushing a little bit too much when it comes to quarterbacks. So the reason passer rating is in the stew is to help push the metric a little bit more toward passing because it is the primary quarterback function because of the presence of QBR, which I already know favors rushing a little bit too much. So it's really about finding the right balance of ingredients that ends up concocting what I think is a reasonable way of evaluating how productive a quarterback was.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of what I figured. Like, it would literally have to be the perfect concoction.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, what? How? Like, how did you come up to the perfect? Like, everything you needed. Was there anything you cut from it? Like, yeah, there was a lot of things I cut
2: from it. I, I thought about DYAR a lot from uh, from Football Outsiders. I thought about accuracy rating over expectation a lot. I thought about a lot of different things on there. And mind you, it is not perfect. It is constantly being worked on. But really, the only real purpose of Stu is to get people to think about the positives and negatives and the strengths and weaknesses of each one of these additional holistic metrics, because instead of just marrying whichever one confirms your priors, maybe we should just acknowledge that if we knew a little bit more, and if we took in a little bit extra time to learn about how EPA per play works and how QBR works, then maybe, maybe we could actually come to an agreement about when we're arguing with things that we're using the appropriate metric to outline the appropriate point. And so for me, it's about starting that discussion and I fully acknowledge that stew is not perfect and it probably never will be, but I'm going to keep tweaking it and I'm going to keep looking at it and I'm going to keep messing with it. And once I have appropriate sample size, I'll probably tweak some more things. But stew is about the concept of being able to use multiple metrics that we know have flaws to balance out each other.
0: So you you keep saying the stew isn't perfect. Which one is like, from what you're saying, it kind of sounds like none of them are perfect. Nothing is perfect right stew in my opinion stew is better
2: but better is not perfect it's right. a little bit like me as a husband right i want to be a perfect husband <laughs> i fully recognize i'm never going to be a perfect husband but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't keep trying right. i just want to be better than i was yesterday i just want to be better than i was the week before so i recognize i'm not gonna be perfect but if i could just continually get better then i'm good with that
0: and also in stool, the, the lower the number, the better. Is that correct? Correct. The lower the number, the better. Okay. So uh, I, I've seen a couple of the, uh, you know, the tables and, and the lists. And it's, it's it typically looks like it's Aaron Rodgers at the top of the list. But I, I heard you say that it was Lamar Jackson at the top of the list the year he won MVP. That That's kind true. of shocked me because I don't know. just Aaron Rodgers seems like the epitome of efficiency. So, for Lamar Jackson to kind of be at the top of the list, which I get, he he's kind of like a an anomaly in terms of quarterbacks, right? There's no one quite like him. So for him to be at the top of the list means that there has, there has to be some type of validity to it to me personally. Um, so I guess my question is: looking at the list, I see Aaron Rodgers at the top frequently. You know, he'll you, have like a three or you know a flat three or something like that. What is Josh Allen? Uh, I guess, typically lacking in that, you know, keeps him at a distance away from, you know, those top guys when it comes to Stu.
2: Josh Allen last year was the number two quarterback in the entire NFL in Stu in 2020. I remain convinced that if Aaron Rodgers doesn't go absolutely bonkers, that Josh Allen is the NFL MVP in 2020. Yeah. In 2021... It was not quite the same because Josh Allen got fire. He absolutely took off at the end of 2020. Well, he took off like that too in 2021, but he didn't do it till the playoffs. So those numbers don't reflect it. And remember, Josh Allen kind of started a little bit slow in 2021 as well. So the fact that he started a little bit slow in 2021 and he didn't hit his, he didn't go God mode, Josh Allen. Until the playoffs, that keeps the regular season stew numbers actually a little bit lower for Josh Allen in 2021 than they were in 2020. But one of the things that is interesting about Josh Allen is that when it comes to efficiency numbers, it's always going to be a balance for Josh Allen. And Josh Allen's play for me has always been about ratios. And specifically, it's been about the ratio of Plays that an average quarterback wouldn't likely miss versus plays an average quarterback wouldn't likely make. And that's always been the way it is with Josh Allen, because he still has a a throw or two every game that are just wildly off. And you're like, what what, what is that? But then he makes four or five throws every, every game that make you go. There's, there are a few human beings on the planet who can make that throw. And so when you look at Josh Allen's passer rating, for example, 16th in the NFL in passer rating, Why? Well, because his completion percentage dropped way down. Completion percentage we know is a big factor in passer rating. Average net yards per attempt was 14 because, you know, he still occasionally takes a really bad sack and that matters for average net yards per attempt. DVOA, 15th. But then you have really things that are really, really high, like PFF grade. He was sixth. QBR, he was sixth. What do we just say about QBR? QBR loves rushing, right? Sorry, yeah. So he's sixth. Does that track it? Yes, it does. That makes sense. EPA per play, eight. Does it make sense that the things that weight scoring and rushing would be higher and the stuff that ranks passing efficiency would be a little lower? Yes, that makes complete sense. If you know what each one of these things ends up meaning, then you can tell a story if you see them in totality. And that's the way it is for Josh Allen. So for 2021, the passer rating was a little bit lower. NEA was a little bit lower. DVOA was a little bit lower. But PFF grade was high. EPA per play was high. QBR was high. Aaron Rodgers was number one in QBR, number one in passer rating, number one in NEA, number one in EPA per play, number one in DVOA, number two in CPOE, number four in PFF grade. It was another crazy, crazy, crazy year. Aaron Rodgers was bonkers. This is why this idea that somehow Tom Brady was going to win the MVP. I'm like, did you watch Aaron Rodgers play football? (laughs) Aaron Rodgers, for the last two years, has been some of the best quarterback play we've ever seen ever. That is not hyperbolic. Some of the best quarterback play we've ever seen ever happened during the last two regular seasons, and it was Aaron Rodgers. So there's no shame in that game when it comes from Josh Allen not being the MVP the last two
0: years
1: because Aaron Rodgers was just on a different level.
0: Okay, that's fair.
1: I just Uh, want to point out that in 2020, Josh was second in MVP. He was also second in two score. So this is picking the runner-ups too.
0: Exactly. Um, So I, I... I guess I, I had a couple of questions. A, can anyone get like a negative score or is it just zero? Like what's the absolute highest or lowest score someone can get? And B, have you calculated Josh's playoff performance? And if you have, what was the score?
2: I have not calculated Josh Allen's playoff performance yet. I'm trying to figure out if there's a way to loop in playoff performance without screwing up the sample size. So I'm still working on that. But – I'll tell you right now, it would be really good. <laughs> right. <laughs> it would be really good. I mean, Josh Allen had one of the best playoff runs of any quarterback ever. I know I'm just full of hyperbolic hyperbolic statements today. But I again, think he was he's, rated he's, he's, he's number sound like number ever. They sound like they're hyperbolic, and they're not. They're not hyperbolic. He had one of the best playoff runs ever. And the fact that he got bounced in the second round is further proof that wins are not a quarterback stat. Because if they were, and the world was just, Josh Allen would be going to the Super Bowl. But that's not the way things work. That's not how any of this works. So when it comes to bad quarterback play, if you only isolate 32, then the worst score you could get would be 32. But sometimes you have enough uh, enough sample size with enough quarterbacks that you can actually rank stew for more than 32 quarterbacks which means you could end up with a score that was higher than 32. But if you only ever ranked 32 quarterbacks, the worst you could possibly be would be 32.
0: Okay, so what's the best score you could get? One. One is the best Four. score you can get. Okay. So when Aaron Rodgers, I, I, I thought I would see he had like a score of three or something and be at the top. Is that 1.57 this year from
2: Aaron Rodgers? Okay. Absolutely right. insane. Most of the time, the peop- person at the top is somewhere in the threes. But the last two years, Aaron Rodgers has beaten it. Lamar Jackson, the year he won the MVP,
0: 3.71. Mm. Not bad at all. All right, so uh, I guess that kind of leads me into uh, my question I have for both of you guys. I want to start with Vince. Um Obviously, you know, with what Bruce just told us, Aaron Rodgers has had, you know, legendary career, I'm sorry, uh, numbers is these past two seasons um, that are literally like all time great. Um, and, you know, it's kind of it's kind of tough, you know, when you like I, I mentioned all the time, like as a Chiefs fan, it has to suck that you get this all universe talent, you know, that, that comes to your team and then, uh, you know, a kid out. You know, get drafted to Buffalo, New York, and and he comes out of nowhere, and he's also you know an alien just like Pat Mahomes, and I now you got to deal with him, and then you know Aaron Rodgers, who was already a, an alien to begin with, and then he just starts even, you know, going crazy, you know, more than he typically would, <laughs> and is is so weird. Um, How oh, he only has one championship, but uh, Vince, what who? First of all, who is the best quarterback in the league? And who 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 would be your top three?
1: I'm going to go Rodgers, Brady, Allen.
0: Oh, wow. Interesting. Pat Mahomes doesn't even make the top three. I,
1: if I can still count Brady because he's technically retired. <laughs> I would
0: still calling him.
1: All right. But that AFC West is going to be tough. If Aaron Rodgers finds his way to Denver, I mean, you got Herbert, you got Rodgers, you got Mahomes, poor Derek Carr. I like Derek Carr, but he's not in the same league. That's a tough division.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's tough for any quarterback. It's crazy because I think Derek Carr is probably like a top 10 quarterback. I think he is, you know, in that six, seven range. And, you know, just for him to have to deal with, you know, three people who are in the top five. Uh, that's, that's that's pretty bad, you know, a <laughs> draw. I mean, he might hope that uh, Las Vegas is to get rid of him so he can just go to a different division. I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, that that'll be a challenge. Uh what about you, Bruce? Who who are your top 3? Rodgers, Mahomes, Allen. Mm-hmm. So, you guys both say Rodgers. Is there is there anything that makes Brady better than uh, Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen? And what what are the things that, that you would say make Brady better than Mahomes and Josh Allen, uh, Vince?
1: Well, no, he doesn't have the arm strength that he used to have or that he'll never have or he never had what Josh Allen has and few people do. But he's just, he's a robot. He's just so good at running that offense and, you know, just seven yards here, 12 yards here. He's just so good at it. His, his mental preparation, reading defense. I don't know that we'll ever see anybody close to what Brady has done and and they're vastly different. So it's hard to compare because that's not Josh Allen's game yet. I'm sure. I I'm, I'm guessing he has some steps that he can take to improve there, But that's not what I see when I see Tom Brady, and and that's Tom Brady's game, and and that's how he's made a career.
0: Yeah, death by a thousand paper cuts. How about you, Bruce
1: Oh, sorry. One more thing about Brady is when you see Brady step onto the field in a two minute drill, you don't know that it's a two minute drill. He's like Mariano Rivera when he used to come out and close for the Yankees. You can't tell that his blood pressure is even raised or he even knows what time it is. You know, and as much as I love Josh, this is not a criticism of Josh. But Josh is not that guy. You know, Josh will come out, and you can see that he's pumped, and you can see that he's a little bit amped. Tom is exactly opposite. Tom is just focused.
0: In defense of Josh, I will say that in the biggest moment of his, probably of his, maybe of his life. I mean, outside the AFC Championship game game us here, not divisional game. It was two times where he, he took the field, you know, he took the team down the field and scored touchdowns in both situations. Um, and I uh, he did look pretty calm and composed until I mean obviously after he scored the second touchdown. But um I I think that obviously he's not Brady. I'm not trying to say he's Brady, but I do think he's you know heading along that that route. Um so Vince, I, I'm I'm your son not this. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, Bruce, uh, kind of go into the other direction with Patrick Mahomes. What do you think about it is about him that, that makes him better than Pat and, um, I'm sorry, Patrick Mahomes, that makes him better than Tom and Josh.
2: Well, I took Brady out because he's retired. So if you want me to put him back in, we got to, got to redo that whole discussion, but yes. I can tell you what, what, well, I, I would have Pat Mahomes over Josh Allen and that's the amount of time he's been doing it. So Patrick Mahomes has been elite since he stepped on the field. Josh Allen has been elite for the last two years. It's simply a matter of excellence and defining excellence. Excellence is how good you do something, how well you do it, multiplied by how long you do it for. So if you have a really, really good year, the annals of the NFL are littered with people who had really good years. In fact, they're littered with people who had really good runs. But excellence is about sustaining it. And Patrick Mahomes has played at an MVP level since he walked on the field. So there's going to be a time when, from a percentage standpoint, those two things start to get closer and closer and closer, the amount of times Mahomes has done it versus the amount of time that Josh Allen has done it. And so I'm not going to say, well, he's got rings because rings on a quarterback stat. So I'm not going to use that. For me, it's about sample size. And Mahomes has been just as good, if not better, than Josh Allen for longer than Josh Allen has been elite. So for me, that the sample size thing is makes that a pretty easy argument for me because greatness is not a jo- just about being good now. It's not about being good for one year. It's not about being good for two years. It's about being good consistently all the time. And that's exactly what we got from Aaron Rodgers. That's exactly what we got from Patrick Holmes. We're starting to get that from Josh Allen after two very good back-to-back years. But Patrick Mahomes has been doing it longer. Aaron Rodgers has been doing it longer. They've been at that same level, if not better, and they've been doing it longer. So that's why they get the nod.
0: So, what if uh, I asked you to attack it from a purely talent perspective?
2: I think Aaron Rodgers is the most talented thrower of the football in the history of football. I'd agree. Again, again, with the hyperbole today. But as far as arm talent goes, as far as the ability to throw the ball from different platforms, different arm angles, accurately, with velocity, with different throwing styles, on different throwing routes, I think that Aaron Rodgers is the most talented thrower of the football I've ever seen in my life. So you'd be hard-pressed to say that somebody out there has better arm talent than Aaron Rodgers. Now, as far as athletic gifts, Josh Allen is freaky, freaky, freak (laughs) From an athletic standpoint, like, like there's a level of freak that you go, man, he's the freak. And then there's Josh Allen. Josh Allen is the freakiest of the freaky freak. So if you want to go athletic ability, then sure, I'll give you Josh Allen. But from an arm talent standpoint, I'm going Patrick Mahomes.
0: I'm going Aaron Rodgers. From the full package of a quarterback and everything that quarterback has to offer, who is the most gifted quarterback in the NFL? given the amount of weight that I would put on
2: arm as opposed to running fast or being big, mm-hmm. I would say Aaron Rodgers. And I'd say Aaron Rodgers because of the way that I am specifically weighting arm talent versus being big and running fast. If you want to weight all those things equally, if you literally just want to say arm talent, Aaron or Aaron or Josh, size, Aaron or Josh, speed, Aaron or Josh, Ag- you know agility, Aaron or Josh, if you line all those things up and you give one point for each of them, the answer is going to be Josh Allen because he's better at more athletic things, mm. but that's not the way I would look at it because I would weight arm talent far more so than I would wait size or speed. So for me, it'd be Aaron Rodgers, but I can understand based on individual people's weightings. I can understand why someone would say Josh Allen.
0: No, that's absolutely fair. Um, I mean, it is your, your, you know, your list, you get to, you know, pick, you know, what you prioritize and that's fair. You know, you're, you're, coming from the perspective of needing a quarterback. So to have this guy who can throw it on a rope and drop it on a dime, you know, I, I, it absolutely, you know, would be an advantage. Um, again, you know, I, I say that Josh is the most physically gifted quarterback of all time. Um, but again, uh, that that's physical gifts, you know, um, it, it doesn't account for uh, arm talent necessarily, maybe arm strength. Uh, but arm talent isn't necessarily in that equation. And although I do think that Josh has, you know, superior arm talent, Aaron Rodgers is again, you know, to Bruce's point, he's, I would agree with him. And he says he is is the most gifted, you know, passer of all time. He just if you just watch him throw sometimes, it's just like ridiculous. He'll just put the ball somewhere right in between, you know, two players or two defenders and or him and Devontae Adams are just on the exact same page and he throws it as soon as he you know makes his step off of off of uh you know off the line he already knows he sees his beat his guy and he's already throwing the football and they're right there, you know, um on the same page. It's it's absolutely ridiculous, you know, watching Aaron Rodgers film. Um it's fun, honestly. But it's it's fun watching Brady film too. I think uh he he puts on those master classes at the quarterback position as well, just you know, with his precision passing. Um, so I, I have to agree. Um, I, I I'm not mad at that at all. Um, but what about you, Vince? If if there was a a talent, or I'm sorry, if you know, just the overall talent um I guess qualifications um at the quarterback position, who would your top three be in that, that scenario? Well
1: I I think if you're adding the physical abilities, you have to put Lamar in there too. So Alan Mahomes, Lamar, maybe.
0: I actually didn't think about that. That's a good one. I, I think Lamar is better than people give him credit for it, to be completely honest.
1: Oh, I'm a Lamar fan. I, I like Lamar quite well. I He's not my flavor of quarterback. I want my quarterback to be able to win with his arm. And I just don't think, Lamar's the guy to do that consistently, but I think you can win with them. And I, you know, he's, he's pretty good. He's better than he gets credit for. I agree.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. So I, I guess we kind of, you know, went over in the beginning, but uh, just kind of, you know, positional needs for the Buffalo bills uh, going forward. I, there's been, you know, a lot of debate between defensive end, And, you know, secondary cornerback are, you know, kind of uh, looking toward the future for the safeties or, you know, there's offensive line talk. There's some holes. I wouldn't say we have like a ton of holes, but uh, we kind of got exposed at at different parts of the field this season. So I kind of want to get you guys' thoughts. Do you guys think, uh, you know, what what should we put more effort into this offseason in terms of, Uh, Should we go out there and maybe get a little aggressive with our draft picks in in the trade arena? Or should we, you know, use those draft picks, you know, the way Brandon Bean always has and kind of just get, you know, the best available talent uh, whenever you see fit on the board,
1: uh, you know, and kind of, you know, grow the roster he has been? Um, Or
0: do you guys think we should go – you know, the free agent route, like I said, and, and kind of trade away those picks to, to go get uh, valuable players or, you know, kind of get veterans. So what I'm asking is, should we go the the, <laughs> the more experienced route with veterans or should we go the, the young route with draft picks, uh, Bruce?
2: For me, I'd love to see this off season be about capital compression. And what I mean by that is I would like to trade down and I would like to trade up. And you might say, Uh, Bruce, those are (laughs) those are mutually exclusive concepts, but they're not. I would love to trade down from twenty five, and I would love to use all of our day three picks to trade back up. I want as many picks in the top one hundred as I can possibly get, and the reason that is is because that's where you can simultaneously find people who can contribute for you year one, but also remain on cost control contracts. And I want both those things. If you have a quarterback whose cap hit is about to balloon in 2023 and for the first two years of that ballooning the 2023 and 2024 his cap hit will increase more than what is likely to be seen from the salary cap now the remainder of his deal the salary cap is likely to outpace the growth in josh allen's contract which means as a percentage of cap it is likely that his contract will become more efficient not less so at 2025 and 2026 but those first couple of years after the ballooning of a quarterback cap hit, that's when it's most important. That's when you have the least amount of money to spend. And when I have the least amount of money to spend, that's when I want all the second round picks. I want all the third round picks. Give me all of those you possibly can. So for me, I'd love to see us trade down for 25 and then package the things from day three and get up into the second day again. Because I want to get as many boogie Bashams as possible. I want as many Spencer Browns as possible. Not those exact players. But those exact scenarios, people who have the talent to come in and contribute, but are still on cost-controlled contracts. So for me, that's the way I'd like to see it done. And I've been pounding the table for that for probably a year now because you have to plan in anticipation for the ballooning of Josh Allen's cap number. I don't know if Brandon Bean's going to do that. Brandon Bean is not historically known as a trade-down guy. He did last year, and he openly said the reason he did last year was because he said, hey, you know, we're, we're not not going to be able to get a lot of undrafted free agents because the roster's so good. Agents aren't going to want to have their clients come to our team because they might not get a chance to play. So for me, I'm going to trade down because I want to get some of those people who we would have gotten as UDFAs in the back part of the draft. So that was the only reason he actually went ahead and did it. I'd like to see him do it for a different reason, and that is compression of capital.
0: Okay, so, Bruce, it kind of sounds to me like you're more about the long game. It's not necessarily about, uh, you know, of course, you know, the, uh, the, the prospect of winning a championship is important, but it's not necessarily about going all in this year to win a championship. You're more so concerned about the prospect of being in the running to win championships over the next five to seven years.
2: Be as good as you can for as long as you can and hope you get lucky. I want to address something uh, Don said in the the comment section, why Boogie Basham? He's not been a good pick at all. First off, uh, it's way too early to write any sort of story on Boogie Basham. Boogie got caught up in the numbers this year, but I wasn't specifically saying I want Boogie Bashams. What I'm saying is I want to have people like Spencer Brown, like Boogie Basham, who have the talent who could have been higher picks, who have the talent of being able to project to starters. And I want as many of them as humanly possible because you need as many of your starters as humanly possible to be on cost-controlled contracts and not be on free agent deals so you can keep your average cost of starter down because your average cost of starter number has been pulled up by your quarterback number. So Boogie Basham is going to compete to start this year. We know this because Brandon Bean flat out said, that's what I told him. I told him, come in and compete to start. And that's what I want. What I want is people who can come in and compete to be contributors on this team who are not free agent signings at $5 million a year. Instead, they're on a four-year contract that totals $3 million because you drafted them on day two. That's what I'm saying.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, I, so uh, Vince, what about you?
1: Well, I, every, <laughs> what I love about Bruce Nolan is that he can articulate my thoughts better than I can. I think what Bruce is saying is the best case scenario. And that's where I would like to go. That's a lot of moving parts and that's maybe sometimes hard to get to, but Yes, give me all draft picks. I want people on cost-controlled contracts. I want to fill some holes. I want more bites at the apple to get Spencer Brown, who is a fifth-round pick. I like that. However, if you listen to Bruce and Nate on Food for Thought, which comes out Friday night on the Buffalo Rumblings channel, and of course you listen because he's Bruce and he's awesome, but they talked about a potential for getting a guy like Daniel Hunter Kind of a buy low. I'd be 100% open to doing that, but I'm going to be very careful about what I give up. I'm not giving up multiple high round picks. If I can get away with giving a, a second and a fourth, I might even consider like a first and a, and a fourth, or maybe a first and a fifth. I'd be very, very open to doing that because this is the Super Bowl window right now. Yes maybe I have to trade for him and then pay him. And I'm generally opposed to that. If anybody has ever listened to my podcast, you know, my Achilles heel is sometimes being too conservative with draft capital and salary cap. But in in this case, in this window, I want to take a swing and I wouldn't mind doing something like that.
0: All right. I kind of want to have a little controversy, (laughs) not a real controversy, but, um, I kind of want to know what your thoughts on are on the linebacker position, Bruce, uh, the whole thing, you know, uh, Matt Milano, Tremaine, Edmonds, AJ Klein, uh, Dodson, Andre Smith Jr. What, what, what do you think, or Tyler Madikavich, uh What do you think she, the future of the linebacker position should look like?
2: Well, I think it's going to look like Tremaine Evans and Matt Milano because Tremaine Evans is already locked in to a fifth year option and Matt Milano signed. So, I think it's a much to do about nothing discussion because I think Tremaine Edmonds is going to be here for at least another two years. And I I think that all of the hemming and hawing is really about whether or not they're going to sign him to an extension, not about whether or not he's going to be here because I think he's going to be here. And I've said before that I am I think Tremaine Amos is perfectly fine. I think he's a perfectly reasonable linebacker. Now, would I pay a reasonable linebacker Fred Warner money? No, I would not. But we don't know he's asking for Fred Warner money. He might be asking for Corey Littleton money. If he's asking for Corey Littleton money, are you okay then? Everything is a value proposition. What you give versus what you get. So... It's not as simple as to say, well, should we resign Tremaine Emmons? Well, what if he asked for nine dollars? How about then? you gonna resign him for nine dollars? Well, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll sign him. Well, then you can't say yes or no. It has to be depends. It has to be just like trying to not wet yourself when you get older. It's depends. That's the way it is. <laughs> so for me, it's about understanding that it's a value proposition. And so Tremaine Emmons, it's not as simple as just do you want to resign him or do you not? It's how much you're gonna resign him for, how long you're gonna resign him for, and when are you gonna resign him? And so for me, the immediate future of this linebacker core is Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. And I, I don't think there's any question about that.
0: And what do you think, uh, I guess that duo, that tandem, what do you think their ceiling is? Do you think they can be, you know, all pros and potential, you know, all, all, uh, Hall of Famers or do you think maybe they'll just be serviceable? Do you think they could even be like the next Takeo Spikes in, in, in London Fletcher? Obviously not to the same uh, ferocity, but uh, you know in terms of uh, production.
2: No, no, I don't. I think if they were going to be that, we would have already seen it. I think Matt Milano is a good linebacker and he'll continue to be a good linebacker. I think Tremaine Edmonds is a reasonable linebacker. And I think if you get a defensive tackle in front of him, that can two gap and allow Tremaine Edmonds to not have to carry light boxes by himself. I think you could potentially see the best version of Tremaine Edmonds, but I think if he was going to be an all pro hall of fame level player, you probably would have seen it by now. Very rarely do you have someone who is a good player or a reasonable player suddenly become a hall of fame player in their fourth year. That's just not super common. So for me, Oh, but
1: Bruce, Go ahead.
2: you know how young he is, right? Yes. yes. (laughs) I I am aware of how young he is. Yes, I am. am I'm definitely aware of how young he is. I I get to hear it every time. But, you know, youth refers to physical maturation. And one of the reasons I've never really liked the youth discussion with him is the youth is a discussion when it comes to physical maturation. Amobio Koye obviously was famously drafted at 19, and was like, well, you know, he's still growing into his body. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds was a freakity freak the second he walked on the field. <laughs> he, he doesn't need to grow in his body. Tremaine Edmonds was an absolute freak of nature the second he walked on the field. So for me, I don't think the youth thing really carries a lot of weight for me. It never has because tenure always carries way more weight for me than youth. Because youth is a, usually used as physical maturation, but physical maturation wasn't really necessary for him. So
1: it doesn't really, it doesn't, it rings a little bit of hollow for me when someone uses it. I, I love this. I love this, Bruce, because you're doing it again. You're taking my thoughts and you're articulating them much better than I can. Because when I say anything, even approaching negative, about Tremaine Edmonds, you're a hater. You hate Tremaine Edmonds, you think he's terrible. No, there's a lot of space between Terrible and Hall of Fame. He can be okay or pretty good, but I don't want to give him Fred Morner money, just like you said. And I feel like I have to, every time I talk about Tremaine, I need to take some time to quantify that because people want to hear the other extreme. And then sometimes, you know, Bruce will take up the mantle for me and I don't have to do anything.
0: Well, uh, I can... Say as someone who talks to Vince a lot, I, I, you guys seem like you're on the same page <laughs> there with that one. I just thought that was funny. Uh, you, you like echoing each other's sentiments. <laughs> but um, I, I want to talk about one of my favorite players before we uh, get into final thoughts for the night. Um, Teron Johnson, okay? Um, I remember, you know, his. his he, he kind of was the guy, he made a few plays, right? it was kind of like at a point where you kind of didn't want to see him on the field. He, found, he kind of felt like a, a liability. Uh, and then the, you know, the pit interception uh, turned the tide of that game. We ended up winning that game it was a big game. And then obviously the, the Ravens interception in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, that determines the tide of that game and we move on to the AFC championship game. And then this year it was just like, it was like the Ravens game just gave him all the confidence in the world. And he just absolutely broke out into be being a stud, uh, you know, at the, at the uh, nickel, you know, nickel position. Vince, what do you, what do you think, you know, we can expect from Taron Johnson? Do you think that he is like become one of the core guys that uh, we build around or, you know, is he somebody who probably just, you know, had a couple years and, you know, maybe will kind of go back into, you know, mediocrity.
1: Um, Well, I think, I think the Bills think he's going to be around for a while. I mean, they just gave him a new contract, but as far as what kind of player he really is, I'll tell you, I, to me, to my eyes, he's been sort of all over the map. He came out as rookie year. What I thought, and I live in Indianapolis. So if you're not familiar with Bob Sanders, please forgive me. I thought what we were getting out of him in the slot as a slot corner was Bob Sanders, a guy that's just going to come up and lay the wood on everybody and not give a rat's ass about his body. Uh, Then he got hurt. And yes, he has been spotty. Of course, last year, he even got benched a few times, Um, but he's also made some good plays. And sometimes it looks like he gets beat and he can make a good recovery. So I think he's inconsistent, but I think when he's on his game, he is one of the better slot corners. But I also think you can have your games where he, you're like, come on, Teron, what are you doing? I think that's the player we got. And I'm not completely unhappy about it. You know, I, I, I'm happy that he's on the roster. And I do think he's going to be here for a while.
2: Bruce? I think Taron Johnson, much like Vince said, I think that there's an expiration date on his style of play but that that style of play is almost necessary for a team that wants to play in the nickel as much as the Buffalo Bills do. One of the things that people don't realize is if you play too high and you play nickel a lot, your linebackers and your nickel defender are really stressed in the run game, like really stressed. I mentioned earlier that finding a defensive tackle who could potentially consistently two-gap would really help unlock a little bit of Tremaine Edmonds because you wouldn't have to ask him to consistently do it. And being able to have Taron Johnson down in the box is so important to being able to defend the run from nickel. Because one of the things that people were consistently pounding the table for was, well, Bills need to run more 4-3 looks. You know what, guys? I'd rather have Taron Johnson running downhill and playing the running game than A.J. Klein. So them going to nickel isn't really a detriment to the run defense because of the presence of Taron Johnson. Now, if they had a different third linebacker, it might be, but they don't, they have A.J. Klein. So having Taron Johnson on the field to be able to trigger trigger downhill is impressive, given the fact that oftentimes he's got to play two gaps. And that's really, really difficult. You know, these seven-man boxes are tough. They're really tough. Asking a safety to come from distance and fill a gap, asking a nickel corner to come from outside the box and be able to trigger downhill, potentially play two gaps and play the run. These are really, really tough things that they ask their people to do. And it really stresses them. It takes a unique kind of player to be able to do it. And Taron Johnson is that kind of player. Yeah, do I do I wish he was a little bit better in coverage? Sure, yeah, I wish he was a little bit better in coverage. But with the style of defense that the Buffalo Bills want to run, you're hard-pressed to find a little bit better of a nickel corner than Taron Johnson. So I'm completely fine with Taron Johnson continuing to main that spot moving forward.
0: Yeah, I love Taron Johnson. Um, I think that he, you know, can grow into somebody who, even if he, you know, doesn't continue to play the nickel forever, um, I think he has, uh, one thing I love about Leslie Frazier, I, I feel like in his defense, he's always going to put guys in the right place to succeed. Uh, now, whether they succeed or not, it's kind of up to the player on the field, but, um I think for the most part Leslie Frazier uh has built a habit of putting his guys uh you know in the correct position to make a play um on any given play and um I think Teron Johnson can do that at least at a a high level um you know for the duration of his tenure with the Buffalo Bills um did you have something you want to add Bruce no I'm good all right um well we're gonna go ahead and get into final thoughts so um on final thoughts here Talk about anything you want, anything that's on your heart. Um, most people talk about Bills, you know, football, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, so we're going to go ahead and start with uh, Vince. So uh, let us know your final thoughts, Vince.
1: Well, hey, Justice, thank you so much for inviting me back. And, you know, I'm always happy to be here and uh, especially hanging out with Bruce because Bruce is one of my favorite content creators. So also thank you, Bruce. But uh, I don't know. This is you know, post season blues, but I, I I always get a little bit amped and I don't think I'm reinventing the wheel or saying anything out of the ordinary here, but I love draft season. I love free agency. So to me, this is like even more than the season, this roster building philosophy time of year for content creators is more interesting to me than anything that happens, you know, in the regular season. So um, I, I love it. And I, this year, I don't really have a very good handle on, on what I can expect. I think there's probably a dozen different things that Brandon Bean could decide to do. And I don't know, I guess we have no choice but to wait, but this is one of my favorite times of year.
0: Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, There's a lot of possibility uh, that comes out of, you know, content creators this time of year versus, you know, during the season, it's either they win or they lost, you know, now you have to, decide whether they're gonna, you know, lose to or beat the the next team. So (laughs) I definitely have to agree with you there, Vince. Um, And, you know, as a content creator is fun. And uh, again, I'm definitely gonna have more Vince. um, You know, what does Vince think will continue um, and then we'll we'll have him on a few more shows as well um, or as many as he'd like to come on. So, Uh, but what about uh, you, Bruce Nolan? What are your final thoughts for tonight? So I got
2: a couple things. Number one, first off, thanks for having me. I appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate being a part of it. Um, it's a, it's a blessing. It's an honor to be a part of it, and I'm I'm glad you gave me a platform to be able to chat with you a little bit. Um, so I'm just want to start off by saying thank you. Uh, second off, I want to address something. Dawn and I are having a conversation here in the comment section, and she said our draft picks have been fifty percent losses. Why not move up for a player like Traylon Burks? Who can play slot and outside and be a hybrid like Cordero and Debo and be an RB2, three holes for the car cost of one. You would have a wide receiver running back who is six foot three and two thirty five, runs a 4'2 and would be cheap for the next three years. And that gives you money to sign an experienced vet for offensive tackle or defensive tackle or edge. I like Traylon Burks. Traylon Burks is my wide receiver one. I don't think he'll be on the board anywhere close to where the Bills pick, but the reason why I favor trade down rather than what Don is suggesting is a couple reasons. Number one, um wide receiver. Tight end, defensive tackle, edge, linebacker, cornerback two, safety depth, punter. I just listed all of these things that are needs for the Bills. And you don't have a ton of money to be able to do it. And there's a possibility that more needs could open up if you have to cut players to be able to get there. So if you have draft picks that are 50% losses, which most draft picks are at least 50% losses, and you have at least as many needs as I just outlined, then the answer to that is not get less picks, it's get more picks, because you could trade up and Traylon Burtz could bust out, and now you've lost all of those things. The best way to handle this process is the idea that you don't know 100% who is going to be good. You just don't. You trade up for a franchise quarterback, sure, yeah, go, all chips in the mill. that's what you do. But you don't know who's going to be good. You don't know Traylon Burks is going to be good. I don't know Traylon Burks is going to be good. Nobody does. So when you trade up and they bust out, now you're way behind. And if you trade up and you don't bust out, you've still lost a lot of capital that you need to fill these spots because you don't have the money to fill these spots. So for me, I have no problem with that. I'm not like morally opposed to it. I'm not going to be throwing a fit if they trade up and draft Traylon Burks. I don't think they're going to. But if they did, I wouldn't be throwing a fit by it. But I think it is a less efficient means of being able to make sure that more, hill, more holes are filled more efficiently with more talented players. The last thing I want to talk about has absolutely nothing to do about football. And Justice said that, you know, most people talk about Bill's football. I said, most people? Well, I'm not most people. So maybe I'll talk <laughs> about something different. I lost a friend today. An old acquaintance of mine passed away today. And she was in her 30s. And she passed away after a long battle with cancer. And I the reason I even get up is because I would like to take the opportunity to tell you to give somebody their flowers today. Please. I beg of you to give somebody their flowers because we always assume that there will be time for that later. We always assume that there will be time for a conversation later. There'll be time for a phone call later. I'll text them later. You might or you might not. And there is a large group of people right now who are thinking about the last conversation that they had with my friend who passed away today. A lot of us are thinking about that. A lot of us. I'm thinking about that too. And she was in a Sunday school class with me years and years and years and years ago. And I had an opportunity to watch her and follow her along as she, you know, lived her life and fought this battle with cancer that she fought. And, go through all the things that she went through, a a pretty painful divorce in the middle of all it. And I knew it was coming. And when I got the text today, it still hit me like a ton of bricks. And it hits you like a ton of bricks because immediately you start thinking about all the people who are connected to that person. And so I don't know who is out there and who is listening to this, but you need to go give somebody their flowers today because it is an absolute shame that our culture has normalized the idea that we talk really well about people after they're dead. Because it's not just about them hearing it, it's about you saying it. And maybe if you say it out loud, you'll be a little bit more gracious to people. Maybe if you take an opportunity to give people their flowers before they're dead, then maybe it'll just unlock that little bit of grace in your heart. Maybe you'll just give a little bit extra to the rest of humanity. Maybe you'll be a little bit more patient for the rest of us. And so for me, that's what I want to talk about before I walk out of here, because it was something that was weighing on my heart, and it was something that was weighing heavily on my mind, and it's something that I am going to try to learn from this experience. I'm going to try to be better, as I mentioned earlier, better tomorrow because of what happened today.
0: Um, First and foremost, I want to, I think I speak for all of us when i say that you know sorry for your loss that that is absolutely heartbreaking but i, I do want to thank you I, I i sincerely thank you for uh spreading that message um especially to to do it on on my platform I, I i feel very appreciative that you uh you know took it upon yourself to to speak uh that type of rhetoric in you know into the community and uh because i feel like that is That is international. That's worldwide. That's something that I don't care where you live, where you're from, who you are. That's a message that I feel like can resonate with everyone and uh, that everyone should take into account. Um, um, I I also would like to say, you know, thank you, Dawn. Obviously, Dawn, you are a cherished member of this community. You're here every single episode, and um, I really appreciate you. Um, And uh, again, uh, you know, to Bruce's point, giving people their flowers. I absolutely love doing that. This is why, you know, Vince hates me because I, I try to I give him compliments all the time. You know, I, you know, uh, Bruce, we talked about earlier, you're not great with accepting compliments, but um, you know, my, my final thoughts are that I I am truly, truly grateful for both of you guys, man. Um, you know, Vince and Bruce, both of you guys have, you know, helped me at times where I didn't really know what to do sometimes. Um, you know, Vince, it, Vince has helped me <laughs> all the time honestly just uh anytime i needed just a little push or you know uh somebody to talk to or somebody to hop on a podcast Vince was always there for me um and just you know just being in my you know home just listening watching youtube videos listening to bills content and podcasts it was always you know the Bruce exclusive and Bruce Nolan you know even since you know, the, the before days um, and it's, it's pretty cool to say that I was able to have, you know, uh, you on my podcast, Bruce, and to say that I was able to do it with uh, somebody who I I consider a dear friend and Vince, listen, this, this episode has been extremely special to me and I want to thank you gentlemen for being a part of it. I also want to thank uh, all of you guys out in the comment section for being a part of it. Uh, everything you guys do, we appreciate, we do it for you. Uh, the likes, comments, subscriptions, uh, you know, retweets, follows, all of it. We we appreciate all of it uh, so much. Um, so for Vince Taylor and Bruce Nolan, uh, this is justice for all. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. And this is the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Go Bills. Go Bills.